Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to let you know about the Impact Winter Capsule. It contains the coziest scarf and the most perfect pleated skirt. I designed the scarf to be, well, the absolute coziest. It's completely hand-knit of a soft acrylic yarn and the style of the knit makes it warm but also breathable. No more sweating with your scarf on and freezing when it's off. The coziest scarf comes in three colors, green multi, pastel multi, and black and white combo. It comes beautifully gift wrapped so it's easy to check off everyone on your list. Find it on impactfashionnyc.com under accessories or at the link in the show notes. And don't worry, the most perfect pleated skirt is coming soon, and I'll share all the details once they're finalized. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki at Squits, and on today's show, I talk with a woman who is one year alcohol-free about her journey. We discuss how alcoholism is perceived differently for men and women, how to recognize the signs in the people around you, and what to do about it. Talia Bendel lives life in full, full color. Granted, I've never met her in person, but I feel fairly confident saying that. And when she recently went public about being one year alcohol free, I was in absolute awe of her class and grace in talking about something so often swept under the rug. As you'll hear soon, I'm someone who has never had any experience with alcoholism, and I'm so grateful I got the chance to learn from Talia. As a kid, I would say that I was pretty eclectic and boisterous and I wouldn't say rowdy, but always, always looking for some kind of adventure, like no matter where I was, always looking for something or like creating some kind of something like we could be at the beach and I'll be like, let's make a storyline. And a lot of, a lot of make believe and pretend, I would say. Do you think that the, like, did the people around you get you? Cause I was that way also. I was always really creative and I always felt like all the other kids in my class were like, it's like, whatever, they just don't get it. <laughs> um interestingly some people got it some people didn't like some people understood me and some people just understood that that's the way I was even if they didn't float on that same plane they understood like oh Talia's like her head is her head's in the clouds kind of a thing um some people did I don't think that it was there was no like miscommunication like there wasn't any time where I felt like someone was just couldn't get like, I don't understand. Why are you doing this? They're like, oh no, it makes sense. You know, it's you. Right. <laughs> kind of a right. thing. Yeah. Like they, yeah. They, there was a level of acceptance there. Yeah. A level of acceptance. And then sometimes it would be, sometimes it would be like celebrated and sometimes it would be like, okay, too much. Like calm right. down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds like me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 100%. Love it. There was always like, a, there was like, yeah, like you said, a level of acceptance. There was always like, okay, that's just Rifki doing her thing. And then other times it would be like, girl, like, take it down, <laughs> take it down. down like five notches, please. <laughs> Were you like that all through high school? Oh, definitely. I'm still like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the best way to be. What I always find is that a lot of times the things that are, kind of othering in school are the things that are really celebrated in adulthood and if you keep like the people who we're always looking up to in adulthood are the people who are just still acting like kids they're not like they're they they never let go of that right it's it's like sticking to your guns but also like I feel like and based off of what you're saying we have no choice but to be us like it's not like we could be other types of people if like even if we tried we just the things that we like and the things that we want to do, we're going to do, we're going to do it. And like other people's opinions are not going to stop us. Right. Exactly. Like, and, and sometimes I remember like as a kid thinking that like, oh, I wish I could be differently, but it just wouldn't, it just like, there was no choice. Like it was, that's just (laughs) the way it was going to be. And that's just the way it was going to run. I got to know you through your blog, through Carpe Fashion DM, which best name ever by the Thank way. You. I love it so much. Are you a big fan of Dead Poets Society? So actually, yes. Um, uh, someone that used to be um, like a youth group leader when I was younger gave me that video and it changed my life. Um, it was, there was so much to it that, I mean, it's, it's obviously a very dark uh, movie, right. but there's, there's a lot of deepness to it. And there is a lot about like 
self-expression and becoming of your own and finding things that make that that you're passionate about and um, sort of creating a world for yourself, it, even though the people around you are not supplying that world for you. Um, so there was a lot of that that I incorporated into um, my life then and still now. And then of course the the term, the Latin term carpe diem, seize the day. Um, that's something that I, it's not just like a mantra. It's something I live by. It's my everyday. Like when I'm having a down day, like my husband will be like, Talia, carpe diem. Like it's, mm. it's something that's a very active, it's almost like another thing in my house. Like it's a real, it's a living thing, carpe right. diem. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it is. That's the best way to describe that phrase. It is. It's a living thing. It's a, it's a real thing. And it's a fantastic movie, by the way, like you said, a little dark, but Absolutely. Yeah. really very good. <laughs> um, and everyone should go watch it. And um, on your blog, a, a little while ago, um, you recently, I guess, announced, you could say, I don't like, is coming out the right word? I don't know. Yeah, Why sure. not? Um, <laughs> saying that you are one year sober. And yeah. this is, I have, I, I want to tell you where I'm coming from on, mm-hmm. on this issue. Um, mm-hmm. My dad can tolerate absolutely zero alcohol. Um, it makes him feel awful. It makes him, he, he does not drink at all. He is completely and totally dry. My family's house, my, you know, the house where I grew up is completely and totally dry. Um, just from like a personal preference place to mm-hmm. the point where when I took a gap year in um, after high school, I went to Israel for a year and I spent a, a Shabbos, a, a weekend at a different family. And among all of the adults at the table, I want to say mm-hmm. that there were probably maybe five or six adults there. Among all of them, they finished one of those Bartonur blue bottles, you know, like oh, um, the, the like you, the Moscato. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. Like the very classic kiddish wine. This is something yeah. that's like, I think 5% alcohol, maybe it's Sprite. <laughs> yeah. It's really not that it's exciting. Sprite. It's, <laughs> it really is Sprite. Um, it's about 5% alcohol in like a regular wine bottle sized. And so among probably, I want to say like between five and seven adults, they finished one of those bottles. And I thought that I was at a house of alcoholics because oh, I had never seen any level of drinking because I because I always had like my version of alcohol was just like oh like ladies who lunch with maybe one glass of wine and someone had like two or three glasses of this five percent which again is not I know now is really not that exciting um (laughs) and I thought that I was in a house of alcoholics so that's where I'm coming from on this that was a couple years ago I have since um realized that that is not the case um (laughs) and I can definitely say that I do enjoy the occasional glass of wine um but I think that, you know, there's, there's so much misconception around alcoholism and around specifically around alcoholism among women. So I'd love, I want to just backtrack and I'd love to know what your journey was like and, and what you can tell us about that. So um, you, you're saying that you're at this meal where like about five, seven people split this one bottle. And in my head, I'm like, one bottle's four glasses. How did seven people split it? Because that's where my mind goes. Because that's, that's how I see it. I'm like, to me, it got to a point where one bottle is not that big a deal, to be honest, in terms of like consumption, um, which obviously is, is an extreme problem. But coming from, so in my home growing up, we were not, um, there wasn't like heavy alcohol at the table. My father enjoyed a drink here and there. Um, and he, and then I think later in life, like he would, he would have a little bit of vodka here and there. Growing up, there was not a push for alcohol. There wasn't like alcohol on the table on Shabbos all the time. Like there would be wine here and there, Purim and, and, you know, um, Simplus Torah, which we just celebrated the, you know, the holiday, the Sukkot holiday. Um, and there, like, that was kind of standard. There was no, um, oh, like I'm going to drink when I get older because my family drinks and everybody around me drinks and I'm around it all the time. And that's what I want. No. Um, actually, when I was about 14 or 16 years old, somewhere in between, <laughs> um, one Pesach, I actually had two glasses. I'm like, I'm going to do the wine thing this year. So I I did two glasses of that Moscato, actually, and my stomach hurt so bad, I was like out for the count for like a day. Because sweet, it turns out that that was my learning experience of sweet wine does not work for me at all. Um then I would say in high school, some of my friends did experiment with alcohol, um, but that wasn't really my, my outlet then. Um, I did also spend a year abroad. I spent a year in Israel, gap year after 12th grade. And there I would say is where I really explored my 
um, more out more in the alcohol world and thinking back to like what were signs like I think to myself what were signs that I was starting off on the wrong foot in terms of my relationship with alcohol and I think to myself of times I would spend like weekends by friends or by friends families out in you know wherever Beishemesh or you know whatever random place it was um Modian and there was a very heavy emphasis on drinking and I'm not, I'm not in no way blaming other people. Some people are more susceptible to having issues with it. Some people can have a glass or two and be fine. I was never that person. I am a, I'm what you would call an addict in general, that there are things in my life that I have hard, I have a hard time controlling and I have a hard time limiting myself from. So when I was exposed to alcohol for the first time and I was, or rather for the whatever amount of time it was, when I was exposed to alcohol in Israel is when I would say I started getting more of an unhealthy relationship with it. And I wasn't able to like leave a table if there was still alcohol on it. Like I would, like I would be the one to finish the glass. And also usually I'm a very, very aware of how people are responding to me or reacting to me in specific atmospheres and the type of person that likes to be, I like to be polite. I don't like to insert myself in overextended ways, even though I am, I would say that I am a, an eclectic personality and I definitely like to make my voice heard and I have a lot to say. Um, I don't like to overstep and I don't like to be too much. Sometimes I don't have control over it, but when I'm in someone's house that I've just met or I'm a guest in someone's home, I like to be, you know, um, more, I, I like, I like to, you know, keep it, keep it calm, but I wouldn't be able to stay that way because if they had one on the table, I wouldn't even know to be like, just have one glass. I'd be like, Oh, can you pass it back? Can you pass it? Can I, you know, can I get some more wine or whatever? Even though there's like what, 15 people at the table and there's only like three bottles on the table. I'd be like, no, I'm going to get my three glasses. I'm right. going to have those glasses. Yeah. Um, and that was really just the start, I would say. I then, think it's also important to note that at this point, you are about 18, probably. 19, in, but yes. Okay, yeah. So 19. Um, I think it is also important to note that the legal drinking age in Israel is 19. It was legal. It was absolutely legal. Which was legal. So I do want to just point that out. But also that um, you're in a really loose, unsupervised scenario you know it yeah. is it is a much um, more it, it's it is just a, a freer year and for some people that's fantastic and for some people that causes other problems yeah exactly and if it and it's not you're not monitored it's not like someone's on top of you and it's right. also not like someone whose house you're at for the first time they're not thinking oh this person has a problem unless right. you exhibit those signs which at sometimes I did but no one's going to be like um I think you need to stop unless you know things get messy um so so that was kind of how it went my israel year and it started off with like oh just a little bit of wine at you know this meal that meal and then it got to a point where and this is common for a lot of people their gap year they experiment with things and not everybody takes it with them once they get home some people just have a crazy year some people have a great year it, you go to learn you go to grow you go to become independent and you know you become more of yourself whereas I, I did that, but I also, like I said, my experimentation turned into more of a problem. And it was also because, not because I was in Israel on my own, it was sort of, I kind of supported myself. I got some help from my parents monetarily and things like that, but I actually, like I got a job there and I was trying to, you know, be able to maintain the things that I wanted that, I, that were extras. So as someone that's trying to be like thrifty abroad, <laughs> you're going to buy the cheapest bottle that has the most in it so that you can get the, the, you know, the biggest bang for your buck. So, you know, positivity is thrifting, but the negativity is you really don't even know what you're putting in your body and you're just buying whatever is the max amount you can get, which something was something that stuck with me even years later. So this was like about 13 years ago or so. And even back then, I wouldn't have been able to say that I had a problem. I was just like, oh, you know, I'm a teenager. I'm just, or, you know, legally allowed to do this. So in my mind, if it's legal, what's the problem? Like, okay, people get drunk, people get wasted. But there is, so that was just kind of my year there. So there was no real awakening there. Then as I got older, once I got back home, 
And I would have these instances where we would be at a party and I would be, you know, the messy one. And I've, I've had plenty of, of lows, unfortunately. There, there were times that, you know, I was the one that couldn't really walk out of, you know, the party or the bar or the wherever it was, I would have to be carried out. You know, that happened a couple of times and it's, it's an embarrassing story, but I'm not embarrassed of like where I am now. And I'm not embarrassed of the fact that I went through something like that or that I did that to myself because I know that A, I'm in a place now where I'm able to look back and use these examples as a way to, you know, catapult me to the future and be like, this is not the kind of person I want to be. I don't want to be this person. And I don't want to do this to my friends and my family. I don't want to be that person for them. And I don't want to be that person for me. So when people are like, I don't understand how you can talk about this. Like, isn't it embarrassing? Like, why are you talking about like when you were throwing up and stuff like that? I'm like, because I need to, I need to talk about that. So people can hear that a, you're not alone. And B it's some, it happens. It happens. And you, that's not the end all be all. You can change your circumstance. I was the kind of person that had to come to terms with the fact that I am not allowed to drink. I cannot drink. I don't know my limits. I don't know how to stop. What started off as not being able to leave the dinner table um, as a guest without the bottle being empty was I can't leave the party unless the bar is dry. I would be at the party of someone who's not even a super close friend and I would stay till the very, very end. And it got to when, but when my husband and I were dating, it was like, oh, we were both kind of on the same page. Like we both drank this, that, but he was never really a big drinker. Then once we were married and we're married now, um, thank God, nine years, there were, there were t times where he's like, I, you don't have to be the last one to leave the party. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, we're still having a good time. For me, there was no limit. Like there was no, I, I didn't know how to tap out. I didn't know how to tap out. And that, that's like an extreme and absolute sign. Towards the end of my alcoholism or I don't know towards the the last the once I was able I was getting closer and closer to stop and I had tried for years to stop or rather in the beginning of my journey to becoming um, alcohol free I had told myself oh you know what like let's just try doing one or two glasses or I'll just have one thing at at dinner or you know just a glass during while we're watching tv or something like that was never able to stick to it then it got to a point um where I was like, okay, then I, I'm not going to have any hard alcohol. I'll only allow myself to have wine and beer because wine and beer is not a big deal. It's light, it's fun, whatever. It got to a point I was finishing a six pack before 12 p.m. in the day. I was buying a bottle of Chenin Blanc, finishing it before I finished work. I'd be getting on the train drunk. I would go to lunch with a friend and we would finish a bottle. I wasn't able to go to a show, a movie, anything. I was not able to go anywhere without either pre-gaming, and I'm talking like two cans of beer in my coat pocket, chug one on the way to the train, chug one at the train, then I get to my location and have a drink. Then before we leave, I have a drink or two, and then before we leave, also had to have a drink. There was, there was no time where I was like, oh, I, I can do this sober. And it wasn't like I was using it as a crutch, and it wasn't like I was like, oh, my life is so hard, I have to drink. No, it was just, it's around me. I can do it. Why not? Right, it was just was, kind of part of your baseline. Yeah. This is like how I, how I function, like how I roll. Right. There was one time a friend of mine had a brisk. It was like one of the, like, honestly, this brisk was like so beautiful and so elaborate. It was more like elaborate than some weddings I've been to. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, it's 11 a.m. There's an open bar. It must be okay to drink. And that day, by the end of the day, I was throwing up blood in my bathroom. Oh my like God. that's, yeah. The things that we allow ourselves is, that's part of what I think alcoholism, part of the biggest problem is that we convince ourselves that circumstance is what allows us to get to that point. Because right. but, but what an alcoholic or addicts need to realize is we're not, we're not able to do that. That's not something that we're allowed to do or should do or can do. And um, when I was speaking to my therapist about it, when I, I did start therapy in the beginning of um, last year, she, she was like, this is how you look at it. How an addict looks at it is an allergy because I don't right. know because they're they, like my body just, it, it's the almost the, actually the opposite of an allergy. An allergy can't tolerate it. Whereas my body just like soaks it all in. And before I know it, it's, you know, I'm done. And I'm not, I wasn't the kind of person that would black out either. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't black out or act belligerent, but I would be the person, you know, 
loud and being like, no, I'm so much more fun this way. And that's another thing. People use alcohol as a gateway to being their quote unquote better selves. They feel like, oh, and like, and we've all known, we know the term liquid courage, right. which is, it's true for some people, for some people, like they can take that shot and then they're good and they're good for the night. And they're able to like be, you know, it calms them and it relaxes them. For me, it's like, no, it's liquid lava. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Like, like it just keeps going. So you, yeah. you were, I guess I, I'm, I'm going to screw up the terminology here. So I apologize, but you, oh, I guess you were an alcoholic for 12 years. Are you always an alcoholic? Like, how does this, how does, how does this work? You, you were drinking for 12 years. About. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, a year ago, a little bit over a year ago at this point, um, mm. you got sober. And what I'd, what I, what I'd love for people to be able to understand is, you know, you mentioned that you tried to stop a few times over, you know, a dozen years, over a decade. I'm sure that there's going to be plenty of times where you hit that quote rock bottom or you have those lows. Um, and sometimes that rock bottom is not enough to get you to get the help that you need. And sometimes you need to go a little bit further. How did you know that it was time to get help? And was, was there an incident? Was it, was it just a, an accumulation of things? What made you realize that something needed to happen and that you needed outside help to make that happen? Um, can't sugarcoat it. Uh, my my husband straight up gave me an ultimatum. We can't do this anymore. We can't keep going down the same path. I had a five month old at the time when I had hit my lowest low. And it was, I had, thank God, like I was, I was able to like during my pregnancy, thank God, like I was able to stay sober um, though. I did have wine because it is allowed again, because it's allowed, you're going to do it. Um, but I didn't, I never really pushed the envelope with that. And I was, you know, for all intents and purposes, I was sober during my pregnancy, but the minute my baby was born, I was, okay, I'm going to have wine here and there, and I'm going to drink. And I have 45 minutes to have, like, I'll have my glass of wine. And then in 45 minutes, I'll be able to, you know, pump or whatever, or, or like, I'll be pumping right now and drinking because, you know, the science of it means that it's not going to be in the system that I had the whole thing figured out. Um, but I would say my, the lowest, the moment of truth was we were, it was my husband's best friend's wedding, our very good friends. Um, and you know, my husband was one of the best men and he was, it, it's like, you know, it's almost like a brother getting married. It was like a, his brother was getting married and I had finished a bottle of champagne before the chuppah and mm, I had had before the ceremony even yikes. Yes. Before the ceremony. Um, and walking down the aisle, I couldn't even hold my own baby. I couldn't hold my baby. So my husband had to hold the baby while we were walking down and looking back, thinking like us standing under the altar um, next to our friends while they were, you know, while they were getting married, like my phone's out, I'm taking pictures. Thankfully, I was not in any of the main shots where you could see that, but that was like just the beginning of the night. I couldn't finish out the night. I ended up up ruining the night for some of our friends who ended up having to take care of me because I we just wanted my husband to be able to actually enjoy the night but obviously he couldn't it was ruined for him because where was I like right throwing up in the dirt so and yeah I mean these are these are <laughs> it's not something I'm excited to talk about it's not something that's you know I'm ob obviously the opposite of proud of it but to be able to move forward, you do need to realize, like, I, I think it's important to discuss the lowest lows so that other people can see like, you know, okay, I've been there. I get that. I, I realize you've been there and now you're in this new place and I can do that too. So my lowest low was my husband saying, you're going to lose your family. You're never going to see your son. You're, we're not going to be like, we can't do this. If you don't know how to stop, there were times where he would come home from work and I would be like on the couch watching something and I'd have a bottle on the, on the coffee table. And then like looking back at it, like I would try and argue with him. Like, it's just a glass. I could have just a glass, but it wasn't even about just the glass. It was, why do I have to fight about it? If it's right. such a big deal, like I should just, if it's so not a big deal, I should just be able to not do it. Right. But I had to be, I, it wasn't even about being right. I just had to be able to have what I, what I wanted. Um, so that would be one of the biggest lows, if not the biggest low. Um, 
was also the first night that we had had a babysitter. So in my mind, I was like, for the first time in five months, I finally had a babysitter. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to, I can do whatever I want. But at the end of the night, I'm still going back to my baby. I'm still going back to, you know, like I, I need to be able to wake up the next morning and be a normal person and not have, you know, my head in the toilet. Sorry if that's a little graphic, but. No, it's, it's, it's true. It's, you know, that that's where these things are. I'm curious if, you know, you mentioned that you had things during under control during your pregnancy. Was that difficult? Was that hard to do? So I would say that I'm very lucky in that I, when it comes to the care of my, my child and I, I happen to be pregnant now as well. And which was, uh, one of the biggest blessings that I, I think of, I think of as a, as a huge gift from God and many, many addicts and alcoholics cannot say the same because it is very, very hard for them to be able to stay sober, especially during, not especially, but well, I mean, I guess, especially during pregnancy, because there's more, A, there's more on the line. So there's more pressure. So you have, you feel like a little bit less in control of yourself. So you, for, for addicts or rather, I mean, I'm speaking of my own experience, when you feel less in control, you turn to these things to try and feel more in control, which is obviously the opposite of what the, what it act, what the truth is. Right. Um, so I do feel blessed that I was able to stay sober um, during my pregnancy with Henry. And now I'm, I feel honestly, truly blessed, but I had gone, I had gone alcohol free in September and um, I got pregnant in about in February. So I had already been um, alcohol free for a while, which was a huge blessing. And then with Corona and everything, um, it's not, um, I don't know what, what I would have, I don't know where I would have been had I not already been sober pregnant or not. I don't know what, what that could have turned out to be because it's just a complete life upheaval. Like you don't, you don't know what left from right every day is like endless or you know, if you don't have something stable and steady, and I was kind of working freelance at the time, so, and still am, um, but to answer your question directly, I, I do, I, I don't know how, I just feel thankful and grateful that I've been able to stay sober during pregnancy. Right, um, when, so, so you, you, you hit this rock bottom, your husband gives you this ultimatum of, we need to get this under control, or, or, or there is no we, um, yeah. what, what happens next? So um, after that, I, I started therapy to try and, you know, he's like, either you get sober or, you know, again, yeah, ultimatum. So I started therapy and we started digging through. Um, and it's not even like a blame game of why are you like this? And why did you do this? It's more of like a, you know, digging through your childhood and your past and kind of building your way back up and re, re-envisioning your life and sort of relearning how you got to where you were um, and sort of, it, it kind of, it gave me more of a sense of, okay, so this is like, okay, I was looking at myself because before I started therapy in my head, I was like, oh, my childhood was amazing. I had all these, you know, I was very creative. So I was able to make the best of whatever it was. And then through therapy, I, I learned like, okay, this and this didn't really add up. This and this didn't really make sense. I've had, and I've always, even at a very young age, like I kept a diary um, from like when I could start writing. I don't do it now because I mean, we have our phones and we have, you know, I can pretty much account for any day (laughs) Um, over the last 10, 12 years. But, but growing up, I wanted to be able to remember all these amazing things because in my head, I was like, I have to create these amazing things because they're not going to just happen to me. So I always wanted to have incredible instant, like incredible experiences and things like that. Um, and then looking back at it, when you relearn your childhood, it's not always what it had actually been while you experienced it. So being able to reassess and, you know, it, it kind of, it, it's, it's eye-opening. It's an awakening. It's, um, I don't know, it's, it, it's part of therapy. <laughs> it's part of therapy. Right. The therapy helped me see things that I couldn't see before. And that's also like, okay, so this is, you know, what sometimes you can't play the blame game, but there is something to a cause and effect. So when you, when you see the cause, you understand the effect and you're able to, you know, you have a little bit more of an understanding, you have a little bit more of control. You're like, okay, so this is why I was going to do this as opposed to, oh, I'm just going to do this. Right. It, It feels a little bit less random. Yes. 
exactly and it's also more thought more thought out and more you're more conscious of your decisions right oh this stems from this right and it also it 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 feels like you said it feels more in control it feels like there's um almost a reason for why you act the way you do and when you can trace back those reasons then you can um you can kind of reverse engineer them and say well okay this is if if x is the reason why i do y what if instead of doing Y, I did Z? What if I addressed this issue that I'm trying to address in a different way? Um, so when you're in therapy, are you dry at this point or was that a longer process? When I started therapy, I it was under the impression that I can never drink again and how are we going to make that happen? Okay. I So when I had first started therapy, I was uh, I was dry for about three months. And then I had a, an instance, which wasn't even a big deal, but I found myself, you know, in the bathroom the next morning throwing up. And I, I just said, I'm like, okay, I re- like, I, I thought I could have a handle on this. I thought, okay, at least I'm going to therapy. I was clean for three months. I wasn't, you know, drinking or anything, but I was wrong. I, I, I had cons- constantly been proving to myself that I can't actually maintain any sort of relationship with alcohol so after three months of therapy being dry and then having this one pretty small example like pretty small experience I was like okay I'm done and that was September 20 21st 2019 and that was my last drink and that yeah some people have their lowest low and that's their last some people have like a slow you know a slow experience to it a, a slow like trail to it um, I would say that I, because I had been trying to get control over it for at least three to four years now, that was my journey. It wasn't like, oh, I just had a super low and then I stopped and then I had a little low and then I stopped officially. It was a slow separation from, from alcohol for me, I would say. Right. And, and it seems like you found your, your Zen, like you found the, the space where you can exist um, and, and not have alcohol be a part of that equation. Yeah. yeah. So a part of that would be, um, a, a, and, and I, I had been to one or two meetings, um, not AA, but they were AA style. It was more for like, um, addicts in general. So all kinds of addiction, um, anything that you can imagine. And some you probably haven't even heard of. I hadn't even heard of. So the the conversation was and 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 meetings group meetings are good for some people they're not good like not it doesn't work for everybody i see how it's great i'm i in no way um against them i think it's amazing for some people for me it just didn't work out um but i had done some of the meetings and there was like this one of the main themes was how people were talking about i can go to a party and have a better time than anybody else and at first i was like mm-hmm, yeah sure okay i don't believe you and then slowly i realized you know same or rather it's not even about having a better time than anybody else but I can have a better time now than I was before when I was drinking like you think uh, the way that I sort of um and as you you said before I think you said I'm reverse engineered how I reverse engineered myself I love that um was what was my point of drinking when I would go to these parties oh because I can let loose and I can have fun I'm the kind of person that can let loose and have fun regardless but I um so when I would go to these things by the end of the night, not even because I would black out, I just wouldn't even be able to recall like some of the, like we would go to Broadway, we would, we would do shows, we would do theater. And two days later, I wouldn't even remember the plot or the story. And there were, there were many instances where I would even like get up in the middle of the show so that I could go and get a drink or, you know, like that's not why I'm there. I'm there to experience the, um, the show or whatever it is. And so in my head, I'm thinking, okay, if I go to a party, excuse me, and I want to like, I want to really have a great time. And I drink and I drink and I drink. What's my end game? Like my end game is, okay, so I get super, super wasted. And then what? What do I have to show for it? I can't even remember the party. I can't like, what's, so then I, I would think to myself, okay, so if I'm going to drink, it has to be a really crazy good party. It has to be a really good something. It has to be a, something amazing. But then I'm like, if it's so good, why don't I just experience it as it is? Like, right. why do I need to be that way and then lose the whole purpose of it? Right. So I'm not sure how much it's making sense, but in my no, head. No, it, it is. It's making sense because I think that there's, 
there's a level, like you said, if you're viewing, if alcohol is your crutch, if alcohol is that liquid courage, if that's what making you let loose and have a good time and all of that, the realization that you don't need alcohol to have a good time is mind blowing. And that is what lets you truly enjoy yourself and be able to remember it the next day and be able to, um, you know, to not, to not create situations where the people around you, like you said, are carrying you out of the bar or the party or, or whatever it is. The technical question in your video, you were holding up a, like a medal of some kind that was like your one year sober. Is that an AA thing or is is. that? Okay. Cause I, cause when you said you weren't, that you didn't go to meetings, I, I was a little, I I just didn't know, but okay. Yeah. Um, So the coin is very much related to AA. Um, When you get your one year sober, you get your coin. Um, My husband bought it for me. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah. he was, he's extremely proud of me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of myself, honestly, also. And he, like, he knows a little bit about these kinds of things. And even though I don't go to AA necessarily, even though I don't go, I still, like, I still think I deserve the coin. You 100% do. Yeah. Oh, oh, all of the medals, all of the medals, all of the everything, 100%. I want to, I want to pivot just a tiny bit. And I want to, you know, the fact that I think that when a lot of people think about an alcoholic, they think of like a mean old man um, or like an abusive, angry guy yelling at some chick in a bar. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that a lot of people will think at all about, um, you know, about a woman being an alcoholic. And it's not something that we really, that that we really talk about um, at all. And it, you know, what, 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 what are your thoughts and feelings on that? So I agree with you. I think in the grand scheme of alcoholism and alcoholics, people usually do go to the, you know, angry old man screaming in a bar situation. Um, I'm not going to say that there's no level of people understanding that women can be alcoholics too. I just think there's a different connotation to a female alcoholic than there is a man alcoholic. Whereas a man will look, you know, angry, mean, and rough. A woman will be like, oh, she's messy. Or like, oh, she's like, like dirty. And then there are some other words that I'm not going to use, but they'll be like, that's the common term that they would use for a female alcoholic. I think also in specific cultures, there's a lot of push for drinking, depending on, you know, holiday season or um, when you, when you're part of a culture that does a lot of celebrating and a lot of like group, you know, engagement parties. And there's a party for when a baby is born and before the baby's born and before someone gets married. And there's just like endless, endless parties. And there's this heavy push for drinking it's mostly on the men so it's not frowned upon as much for the men to be drinking so heavily whereas a woman let's say at temple there's um there's this idea of kiddush which you know of kiddush it's like a kind of you know you have a drink and then you make blessings and you have a drink and the guys have a good time whereas if a woman would say oh i want to have like a you know a kiddush club like a drinking little a little thing for women too, it would be heavily frowned upon or looked at in a negative connotation where it, A, it's unfair. Aside from the alcoholism aspect of, you know, promoting drinking creates alcoholics or rather, you know, you can, you can be born an addict and then therefore you're more susceptible to be, to becoming an alcoholic. But in terms of, I think there's an unhealthy relationship in some cultures between women and alcohol Whereas it's promoted much more with men, yeah, for men. I, one, I could 100% agree with this. I think, and I even see this coming up in myself where, um, again, coming from a place where I, like my house was completely dry growing up. Whenever I saw, like even just someone with a glass of wine, specifically a woman, I would be like, I, really? Really? You're going to? you're going to be, you're going to be drinking now. And granted <laughs> now I'm that woman. Like I, wine is my thing. I mean, obviously I'm not an alcoholic, but um, you know, it's good and it's, and it's fun and it's yeah. a great way to, to just, you know, have a, have a, have a great time with your friends. Um, but I wouldn't, there's, there's a level, like you said, there's a level of acceptance. I think um, that men get um, that they, they almost get a pass on, you know, there's a level of, you know, even when, Oh, you know, guys are almost not afraid to share their, their drunk stories. It's like, it's almost a badge of honor of like, oh, can you believe I did this many shots? And then I was puking for two days afterwards or whatever. And it, and it's a, it's something that they, they brag about. Whereas with women, it's not, 
it, it's just not like that. We're just, I don't know if it's that we're not encouraged to drink at all, but it's seen as is so unattractive. It's interesting because I feel like I see, I see both points. I see how to some people they would look at, and it's funny that you say that because my father actually growing up, my father would say that there are three things a woman could do that would be so unattractive. And he would say one was, I think, um, like spitting, you know, how like men spit, whatever, yeah. randomly. So like spitting. Okay. I get that. That's kind of gross. Um, it's gross no matter who does that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like 100%. Um, I think, I think it was spitting, cursing and, and like being drunk or like drinking. And, and it's interesting like that you said that because it's, it's so true. And men will share their stories. Not only that, they'll have like, they'll be like, I can drink you under the table, blah, blah, blah. Whereas if a woman did that, like but but what about like and even if you don't like let's let's say you were a mother it would be but like your kids what do you mean and what do you mean the man he's ju- your husband he's equally parent what right. do you mean but he can do whatever he wants and then even if you don't have kids it's like oh like you're a mess you know like you're like why are you doing that and and people would have that same reaction that you did and it would be like it, for me I feel like it's partial for some people they look at it as completely unattractive like oh gross like get yourself together and then on the other hand there's the side of like oh she can drink with the guys like she knows how to drink like that makes her special right. what do you mean it doesn't make you special yeah you wouldn't say the same thing about like let's say there was like chocolate cake on the table and the guy was like oh yo I could eat half the chocolate cake and the girl would be like yeah me too no one would be like oh wow she could really hang right. you know <laughs> it just doesn't exist it doesn't like okay you know it's it's just it's a it's it's a thing it exists and um like the alcohol like being able to drink is is not gender neutral it's not gender specific right. anybody can can do it um and everyone has a different kind of capacity for it it's just so, it's very clear that women are not given the same allowances right. for that. They're right. not. Like, how often do you see a guy be like, yo, bro, are you going to be able to make it home? Like, right. are you going to be okay? No, you let your friend stumble out the bar, whereas women, she has two shots and you're like, girl, slow down, slow down, right. Right. you know? And in some cases, yes, you do have to be on top of your friends. Definitely take care of your friends. Make sure they're not going home drunk or driving drunk or any of that. 100%. It's just, there's a different, there's a different level of, of care and, um, attention. Right. Gender, g- like, spe- like, di- like gender specific. Right. Yeah. No, that. it's 100%. We're gonna, we're gonna be counting a woman's drink more, more closely than we will be a guy's drink. And I think that yeah. women do this also. I certainly, I certainly did. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, I almost feel like the answer to that is not to let women off the hook. It's to put guys on the hook. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the yeah. answer to that is that like, we just need to be a little bit more responsible about how everyone drinks. Exactly. The, my, my point of bringing it up is not that like, oh, we should just let a woman stumble out. It's more like there's an obvious less care about the man being at whatever level, whereas you pay right. more attention to the woman at that level. Right. Everyone needs to pay attention to their friends if they are over drinking in general. Right. But which, people, which, yeah. which brings me to the next thing, which is where, you know, what's the difference between someone who gets drunk every now and then with their friends to someone who is an alcoholic? Where, when should I start being concerned about my friends? So it's interesting because you could be, there's a, a person could drink, you know, a glass of wine every night with dinner and they're not considered an alcoholic. And then there's a person who gets wasted once a month and just doesn't know how to stop that once a month. And that person is considered an alcoholic. I think everyone has a different level, a different threshold for being able to say I'm an alcoholic. I can't, I don't know the exact guidelines. I know that for me and in a general is if you are ever, let's say you're with your friends, right? I would say a way to be able to tell about your friends is if every time you go out, there are multiple drinks happening and your friend doesn't know how to go home sober. If your friend does not know how to go home sober, that is a problem. She may not be an alcoholic, but there is a problem there. And also you shouldn't be afraid to have a conversation with your friends just because you don't want to insult them or hurt them. You, or, or even because you don't, you may not think they're an alcoholic, but in general, if you see someone that is, is either a substance abuse or, you know, any kind of, or behavioral issues you should, if you're a good friend, if you're a real friend, you will open up the door for that conversation and you will try. 
I think, I think it's one of those um, innate things that if you see your friend struggling, if you even have a question in your mind of, I think there might be something going on here, that is an indication. That's a, that's a sure sign that there's something going on. It may not be the extreme limit, but that is, that is the time where you, you, you should swoop in there and, you know, I mean, I don't know about swoop in there, you don't want to scare people off, but um, that, is, that, is the, that is the moment where I would say, like, if you think there's something going on, definitely open the door for a conversation. Right. It's, it's worth the conversation. And I think that yeah. even if, and, and again, speaking from zero experience and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that even if, if you open that door for the conversation, even if the other person is not willing at that moment to listen, and even if you're way off base, there's the chance that you're not. And when they are ready, they'll know that you are available and that and that you're a, a space where they can go to and that in Definitely. and of itself i presume is a helpful yeah, thing of course people that are really struggling they want to be asked everybody okay. wants to be asked how they're feeling everybody wants to some people are like no i really don't want to talk about my feelings okay but you want you want to see that someone cares you want to see that someone's interested and is taking interest in your livelihood and in what's going on with you even right. if you're not having these same issues like you could just be having a rough day like like with when my mom, when she, when she goes shopping and she asks the person at the cash, the cashier, she's like, Hey, how's your day going? She actually wants to know, right. You know, authenticity and showing your friends and family that you care is exactly that opening a door and knowing that you are a space, a safe space for them to come to. Right. And what is- they'll be, sorry, they'll be more conscious about their actions around you in the future. Right. And it will make them double think for themselves. Like, oh, maybe I do, you know? Yeah, 100%. You'll make them more aware. What do you yeah. think is, um, what, what are some tips that you can give to someone who maybe has a friend that they are, can, you know, they're listening to this conversation and they're thinking that reminds me of, and I think I need to have a conversation with someone. What are, what are some, some tips, tricks, tools that you can give to someone who maybe needs to go have that conversation? So my number one thing is I, I think people get scared off with the idea of intervention, right? People get scared off by that. I don't think that that is the number one thing a person can do unless you're at extreme levels and there's really nothing else, no other options. I think that if you're in the beginning stages of trying to help a friend, you give them the opportunity to have the conversation. So you tell them, you come to them and you say, look, it seems like you may be struggling with this thing. Is there something you want to talk about? Give them the opportunity to open the door. Tell them, show them that you're there for them. And you do that initially. And if there's a consistent issue and problem, then you have to, you have to, you know, keep up with it in that you start the initial conversation with, I'm going to have the ball in your court. But if it gets to a point where you see there's a possibility for self-harm or harm to others, then you get a little bit more stronger in your pursuit. And you say, look, like, I don't want to see you going through this. You have to make it about a lot of people, they, they get, um, they get turned off by people trying to help them because in their head, they're like, Oh, you want to be a Superman. You just want to, you know, change me. And you say you want to help me, but you just like love the drama or whatever it is, which is a, it's, it's an interesting thought process, but it really does happen. Like a lot of times people are like, I'm not the problem. You're the problem. You just think I have a problem because you don't understand it. You need to step very lightly, talk to a professional if you're not sure how to word it, but give them the opportunity. You say, look, Hey, uh, let's just Rachel or whoever, like, honey, um, I noticed that when we go to dinner or I noticed that before we go to the movies, um, you seem to always need to have a drink in your hand, or you seem to always be taking this or that or doing that. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about you. What are your, or what are your thoughts on that? Is there, um, do you feel like it's something that you need to do? Ask them the questions that they, that, when you say something like, do you feel like that's something you need in order to, you know, have a good time based off of how they answer that will make you realize like, if they say, no, you know, it's fine. I don't really need it. And then you notice the next few times you guys go out, they don't, then it's fine. Then they're just using it, you know, um, uh, I can't think of the word, but <laughs> just like for fun and here and there. Whereas if they're like, no, I don't really need it. And then you that you continue to see the same behavior. You say, you know, remember that conversation we had that time and you were like, oh, I don't really need it. I just, you know, once in a while, but I've noticed that it's every single time. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Then they'll be more a bit, a bit like, you know, they can't really deny it because you have fact. Right. You have facts. Right. You've pointed it out to them on, on several occasions. Yeah. If 
if there's someone listening to this who maybe themselves is struggling with alcoholism, what would you, what, what would you say to them? I would say, firstly, you're not alone. Not that that changes anything because everyone's independent experiences are what affect them specifically, but knowing that you're not alone does help. However, if you are conscious enough to know that you have a problem, then you are conscious enough and able enough to be able to help yourself. You are not without help. You are not without opportunities and possibilities. If you have right now, you have the opportunity to stop. And there are people that will help you. And even if you feel like you're someone that doesn't have friends or family or someone in your corner, A, reach out to me and I will, I will help you find that corner and I will be that corner. And B, there are plenty of organizations and resources for people that are going through the same thing as you. And I know that you hear this from a lot of people, like, if I can do it, you can do it. But let me tell you, I didn't think I was going to make it past 25. And I'm 31. And I believe in you. I may not know you, but I believe in you. Yeah. And, and if, if someone does want to be in touch with you um, for that support or for support with a family member or just in general, where is the best place for them to go? So you can find me on Instagram at Carpe Fashion DM. Um, it is mainly <laughs> a fashion page, but I did recently open up this outlet to um, the discussion and um, conversation of alcoholism and I can help you. I can, if you're, even if you're not struggling yourself, but you know, somebody that's struggling, I can help you help them. I can send you in the right direction and I can get you in touch with the right people. So please reach out. If even one person hears this and it helps, it's worth it. Yes. And I am going to link to that in the show notes so that it's really easy to get to. The last thing that I want to ask you, Talia, is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is to you, Talia Vandell, what does it mean to make an impact? Well, Rifki, being on this show at all, being able to, knowing that my message is going somewhere, knowing that I have a message that's being heard, that is having an impact. Thank you so much for coming on today, Talia. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me with me. Honestly, this is um, incredible. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Talia, her links are in the show notes. There, you'll also find links to the coziest scarf and the most comfortable mask. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art or going to impactfashionnyc.com. To hear more episodes, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. They make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.